You're listening to SaaS Acquisition Stories, a podcast featuring the stories from both startup founders and buyers who have successfully gone through an acquisition process using MicroAcquire, the number one startup acquisition marketplace in the world. To date, MicroAcquire has helped hundreds of startups get acquired and has facilitated hundreds of millions in closed deal volume. Here's your host, Andrew Gazdecki. All right, I'm here with Suck, who recently microacquired a startup on microacquire. And with that being said, Suck, how are you doing? I'm good, Andrew. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise. Um, so for those who um, aren't familiar with you or your background, um, do you want to just give a quick intro of yourself? And I want to hear the uh, Dubai part too. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so I've spent most of my career in the fitness industry. Um, a couple of years prior, just just out of college, I actually spent some time selling women's shoes online, um, which was interesting. So a brief stint in e-com before e-com was a big deal, probably should have stuck with it. Um, and then into the fitness industry, I loved, I loved fitness, loved training myself, and, and a very typical path into the industry was, oh, I like training, maybe I should become a personal trainer, right? How much can you bench press? Nowadays? <laughs> I don't even know. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, go very, on. Very little. Um, so I became a personal trainer, went really well because I've always, you know, I've enjoyed the business side of it, whereas most personal trainers like the exercise side, I enjoyed the business and the marketing. So I did well as a personal trainer. I ended up opening a couple of gyms in the UK. And then very early around 2013, I started working with clients online again before it was really a thing. Um, and it's still very early as well. So I started working with clients online around 2013. Um, that really took off. I had clients all over the world. Um, sold my gyms in 2016 for next to nothing, more so just to, to get rid and, and so I could go all in online. And then around the same time as that, I started selling online courses, business programs, doing some mentoring, basically teaching other trainers and coaches, nutrition professionals, how to move online, uh, which is the big shift we're kind of seeing now in the fitness industry. So obviously when I came across Stridus on MicroAcquire, which is a platform for the same audience, it was kind of a no-brainer. And that's that's kind of how we ended up here today. The move to Dubai was around two years ago from the UK. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at. That, that is awesome. I love, I love that story of how you acquired something that is so in your zone of competence um, and zone of genius as, as well as assume, because um, I assume you enjoy fitness and helping people in terms of getting in shape. So that's awesome. But I do, before, before I start diving into questions on that acquisition, um, before we started recording, um, I, I wanted to know, are the, are there really abandoned like Ferraris in Dubai, like from people who just are so rich, they can't get them out. So they just leave them. No, so that's not, not what happened, but it, it did used to be a thing. So it was more so around like the crash in 08. So over here, there's, there's kind of no fail safe, right? The, the government aren't going to bail individuals out, they'll bail businesses out. So, and back then as well, it was, it was basically illegal to miss payments, right? So what happened was there was loads of expats, loads of guys from the US, the UK, all around the world who had these Ferraris on finance. A crash happened, the bottom fell out, they couldn't afford repayments. So they just drive them into the desert, get on a plane and leave, basically. And so that's what, that's how that started happening, but ah. they could probably fill a desert again at the minute because the cars out here, as I was saying before we went live, it, it's obscene. I did a, a video for one of my friends this morning because I, I 
do my work in a golf club. Yeah, I work out of the golf club, have a coffee in the morning, and I walked outside. And there was a Lamborghini Urus, a Rolls Royce Wraith, a Rolls Royce Cullinan, um, a, a Mercedes G Wagon. And there were only about eight cars in the car park. And that was like four or five of them. Lamborghini so, Urus. If I could get one SUV, it'd be that one. Um, little, a little, little out of my price range, though. Um, all right. Now together. that's. A- thanks for thanks for I, i've just seen the picture of all the ferraris and i was like whoa so th- thanks for clarifying that all right let's get back to the good stuff um so uh you go on the microquire um you come across this company that seems like a, a great um fit how did you initially reach out to the buyer and what was that experience like um going through the acquisition process yeah honestly like you know not to blow smoke up you know what um Microacquire just makes it so easy, right? So the plan for me last year, just to go back a little bit, was to start acquiring small companies. Um, so I actually acquired another company on Microacquire just before Stridus, um, just a small acquisition. And the plan was I was going to do a few. And then I came across Stridus, light bulb moment, you know, huge domain expertise for me, area of expertise. So I reached out to Mike, the guy who was selling it, and he was basically a client of a coach who used a different platform. And in, in the fitness industry, there are, there's lots of competition for what we're building, but they've been around for you know, 10, 20 years and none of them are liked. They're all just tolerated. So that's kind of what he discovered as a client. We spoke to Mike back and forth and you know, we used your documents, your templates. The first offer we actually put in, I think, offended him slightly. Um, and maybe I was a bit naive and, and I did... I didn't purposely lowball it, where I was probably too logical in my uh, approach to valuing it based on his MRR and the fact that it wasn't growing. Where but, was um, where was the monthly recurring revenue when you first got it? I think when we first found it on Microacquire, it was around just over a thousand dollars MRR, um, and just flatline, no marketing, no presence online. Um, and I think you know maybe we we offered two point five to three x ARR. In fact, it's probably a quite a good offer initially. Yeah, yeah, no, not um, bad. Yeah, so but the reality is because I knew, like, I could at least have a successful launch that would pay back a reasonable amount. I probably would have been willing to pay quite a lot more. Um, so when we increased the offer, there was quite a bit of back and forth, um, just through diligence, as as there often is. But I think from getting that second offer right to close, probably two and a half months max two months um yeah so not too long i think probably quite standard i know people nowadays are getting them done a lot quicker i think i I listened to your podcast with joe spicer is it um who moves quick so not that quick but um yeah it didn't feel too long to us yeah we see we see acquisitions close sometimes sometimes it can take a year we've seen some some big deals they'll just stay on microquire usually with a higher price and yeah. then eventually they just wait for a strategic buyer where they have maybe an audience where basically the business is worth more to the buyer than the seller so they're, they're willing to pay above you know typical market valuations that you see which i find fascinating and then we see like 30 days and 90 days and then people like joe like a week um yeah, but uh what what was the what was the first company you you microquired i i wasn't aware i thought it was just uh this one so it was a company called sunrise kpi and it like it's a small acquisition i think it was like 10 grand us um and it's, it was actually a great opportunity but i've 
I barely touched it because I think it was two weeks later I found Stratus very shortly after and it, it just it was very apparent that Stratus needed I wanted to give it all my attention but yeah Sunrise KPI is like a, a metrics dashboard for like solopreneurs so for example your you could measure your social media growth your email list growth, uh, amount of leads, conversions, new clients, revenue growth, all in one kind of aesthetic dashboard. Um, I, I remember, again, I, I've seen that. I remember when that one came in. I liked it. Yeah, it was cool. And, and what we did is we started work on it, rebranded it, pretty much ready to relaunch. And then I, I found Stratus. And I, and I just, honestly, I haven't touched it since. Well, you can always put it back on microcar. Um, <laughs> yeah, I might yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, so tell me about Stratus. Where is, uh, if you don't mind disclosing, where is, um, where is monthly recurring revenue now? It's about 36, about 36K MRR. What so the? We, yeah. So, so you, uh, so, so you 30, that's 3,600% growth. Am I getting that right? I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, no, Maths that's isn't my strong suit. Three thousand Okay, so God, okay, let me pause a sec. God damn. Well, first, congrats. Second, um, now I'm just wondering, uh, what what did you do? Like, what what were what were some of the unlocks, the levers that you pulled? So, and you don't have to give like, you don't have to give away your secret sauce or anything like that. Just a high level is is completely. Yeah, fine. I mean there is none. You know, we we spent a few. Bearing in mind, I had the audience, right? So I spent a couple of months just rebuilding and adding features that I knew I would have to have in order to launch to an audience who are already kind of mature and have seen the competitors. So, so you, I spent a month. A few, so sorry, you had no. you had an audience in place already. Yeah. I yeah. love that so, strategy where you have people willing to buy as soon as you acquire the company. That's all. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, it like it, it was just a, that's why it was a no brainer from a purchase perspective. So we spent probably too long in development before I relaunched it to my own audience. But then in April, um, by this point, MRR had gone down to like seven hundred dollars, I think. Um, mm. So then in April we re relaunched. Um, I, I think, you know, somewhere between the first 15 to 20K MRR came in the first eight weeks, six to eight weeks. And that's probably credited to my existing audience. And then since then, it's largely been word of mouth um, content really on social. Um, but yeah, the bulk of that MRR was from just building up anticipation, FOMO, urgency, all that kind of classic uh, copywriting and marketing principles, building up a wait list. And then on the day we launched, funny story, not funny at the time, but she actually hit the fan, the data bit we found out after launch, the, the database wasn't big enough. We, we crashed for about 12 hours until we figured out that was the issue. So on launch day, we actually got like 350, 400 trial users. And then we were offline for about 12 hours, which mm. kind of killed the momentum a little bit. But yeah, that's that, that initial launch kind of set the tone for the last couple of months. I, I, I love that. When I love when servers crash because um, you can view it in one, or, one of two ways. I mean, would you like your server to always be up because no one's using it or crash because, you know, people are, you know, obviously really interested in the product. So it's, it, I put it in kind of the first world problem bucket. Like, oh, you have yeah. too many users. That's so awful. Um, and then obviously there's a clear fix, uh, you know, server downtime and stuff like that. So, so that's incredible. Um, so, man, you took this thing. So you acquired it at um, uh, 1,000 monthly recurring revenue. So it's around 
12,000 annual recurring revenue. And now it's at 36. I can't do the math on that, but I think it's like 430, something like that. 430,000 annual recurring revenue. Damn. Somewhere like yeah. Are you doing any paid marketing or anything like that? Not yet. So more fun. Uh, about two weeks ago, we just we, we kind of decided we ran out of steam, like pushing it to my audience and, and me pushing it and the kind of word of mouth. So the plan was, right, let's start running paid, cold outreach, stuff like that. And then we crashed again. Um, Very nice. <laughs> so Yeah. So we crashed again uh, and kind of just put, put off direct uh, kind of response style marketings. But as of yesterday, we turned paid on, um, cold email, and also just me kind of having conversations and, and hustling a little bit because we take um, card details at free trial. So it's almost worth my time when I have an hour to jump in Instagram DMs and speak to people. So a bit of everything. Nice. Are you working on Stratus full time now? Yeah, pretty much. I still have a handful of like, higher paid mentoring clients because I haven't taken any money from Stratus and that kind of pays my bills and um, ensures that I'm you know, not dipping into savings. But my, I'd say I still spend over 40, 50 hours a week on Stridus and then probably 10 hours a week on consulting slash mentoring. Nice. This is incredible, man. Congrats. Um, we're, we're, so you're already at, let's call it half a million in, in your current revenue. Um, that's phenomenal growth. I love these stories. Um, cause you know, there, there's builders where there, people are really good at building projects, but you know, they can't take it farther. And a lot of the times it's, they don't want to, they want to go and build. So you acquired something and it sounds like you're more of a scaler where you're able to, you know, grow the company, um, a bit further than the original owner. So it's win-win. Um, yeah. So yeah, go ahead. So the, so my career acquired it from was very much that he built the product and then realized I can't market and that was it. And so he got, you know, an effective outcome. And then for me, I, I'm non-technical. The, the thought of building this from scratch and trying to figure out, you know, developers from scratch and, and what technology from scratch is just probably a non-starter, to be honest. Um, I know you're non-technical having listened to some of your stuff before, but I'm yep. probably another level of non-technical. Like my iPhone is a struggle sometimes. So the thought of trying to develop something from scratch is probably a non-starter. So it's a win for me as well. And, you know, I know I can market to this audience and, and can help them as well and, and know what they need. So, you know, it's definitely a win for us. Yeah. And then you definitely skip, you saved a ton of time too, because you're buying, you know, product market fit where there's some, even just at 1,000 in monthly recurring revenue or 12,000 if you um, look at it annually. Um, that's some good traction where there's there's a lot to work with in terms of talking to customers for feedback, seeing what's working, what's not working. And just getting to that point alone can take a year. So you kind of skipped over that that year where you're just eating glass, begging customers to just look at the product. Um, so that's that's awesome. So now I'm just wondering um where like how how far do you do you plan to take this? Um what's if you just had to say two years from now, where where would you love Stratus to be? I think we've probably, I see two options for our future. So I'm super confident in, you know, us getting to a, a few million revenue a year, super confident. Um, I, I don't think it'll be easy. I, I think there'll be periods of just stuck, but I think, um, I think we can do that. And I think that's an outcome we can get to in the next couple of years, two, three years from there, I'll have a decision to make because, you know, I can see us getting to 5,000, 10,000 users beyond that. I think it's a, 
a world of pain in the industry that we're in. It's so fragmented um, and just a, a very difficult industry in general to scale in and bring together. So a couple of years, a few million revenue, and then it's either a decision to, to maybe sell or, you know, take that swing for the fences maybe with the same company. Yeah. You maybe bolt on like some other, you know, uh, fitness related related products or maybe even like a community on there as well. So another tip. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, I, I'd love to know, you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast um, are both, you know, buyers and sellers. If you had to give just like any advice to, so you've acquired um, two companies on microquire. So I assume you've talked to a lot of different founders looking to sell their businesses. What are some things that founders can really do to make you comfortable making an offer and moving forward with an acquisition? So something that sellers can do? Yeah, sellers. So I'm a startup founder. I'm looking to sell my business. What would you, what like three tips would you give me in order to increase my chances of you being comfortable acquiring my company? Yeah, so the first thing is like a call and just having a conversation with the founder is is great. Some And some founders are understandably standoffish. I'm sure sometimes they feel like someone may be wasting their time, but just having a conversation, being able to have a conversation with a founder is just a massive help and having that early, if they're willing to do that. Um, often I will ask, you know, what are the challenges and what are the problems? And you can tell straight away if somebody's just sugarcoating the, the true challenges that the business may face or the software may face. Um, and if when we have, so when we had a conversation with Mike, he had a developer on the call and you know what some developers are like, they just, it just comes out <laughs> and, and they kind of have no um, filter. And he was just incredibly honest with what he changed, how he'd improved the platform. And that really put our mind at ease because he was kind of giving us the, the roadmap to make sure this thing worked and could scale. <clears throat> so that really helped us. Um, and then I suppose just being super responsive once we get to the point of due diligence, um, you know, quick responses, quick questions, quick answers. It's just all incredibly helpful for, for a buyer. I like that. Yeah. I mean, that's a, the classical term of, you know, time kills deals. I recently saw a deal on MicroQuire. A founder got a really fantastic offer a little bit below their asking price. And they went back to all the other buyers saying like, hey, if you could beat this. And then he waited, I believe, uh, two weeks to respond to the offer from this other buyer. Now their buyer had moved on. So as a seller, I think it's really important to understand that buyers are looking at multiple different companies in a lot of cases and scenarios. And so the faster you're able to respond, um, the higher chances you have of actually closing a deal. So I really like that. Um, in terms of like, like what are um, maybe some red flags that, you know, you it kind of reversing the question, I'm sure the answers will be similar, but what are like some big, you know, just do, just do not do this if you're looking to sell your company. Yeah, so we have, I got in a couple of um, situations on, on microquire, I think one off where I didn't end up buying. And this is again, pre-stridest where I submitted a letter of intent. We moved into due diligence and the seller just was still really unwilling to share much at all. Uh, and I understand kind of the protectiveness still, but th there comes a point where you're going to have to share like code or at least some code or at least some insights to, to the platform. And, and on both of those occasions, it was a case of they wouldn't 
really show much of the code. It's like, here's a snippet of the code or here's a quick screen share live on a call, but you can't record it. Um, so I think, you know, at a point, a seller eventually has to give you the keys to, to have a look around um, and either trust the process or just ensure that the contracts are airtight or, or whatever else in order. But there has to be a level of trust there as well. Yeah, and due diligence is one of those things you get into where even both the buyer and the seller are uncomfortable, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, obviously I have to share sensitive things about my business, but it's required because without that information, you don't really know what you're buying. So um, shameless plug, um, if you're a seller and you're in these situations, reach out to support at MicroQuire and we'd be happy to help or assist because um, sometimes some due diligence questions can be um you know, tricky, like, hey, send me your entire customer list. The answer to that is no, scrub it, send anonymized <laughs> data, um, stuff like that. Um, our team is is um, happy to help with if you feel that um, you're not sure how to handle a certain situation. But that is great advice. And um, it's true. Yeah, if you're not forthcoming, and you're not, and again, that kind of goes back to, I think what we were talking about earlier, where time kills deals, like if you, if you're difficult to work with, you know, there's going to be a transition period as well. You may need this person three months down the line. To me, those are all little yellow flags where I start to think, okay, so we're at step one, we're already having issues. And then step two, I'm, I'm just asking like regular due diligence questions. I'm not getting them. Now I start thinking, okay, how, how's closing going to be? How's the actual transfer going to be? Are you going to be around for how how much can I rely on you? You know, that re that relationship and that trust and that, um, yeah, like the the trust in the relationship and your ability to properly communicate, I think is just so crucial to to getting a deal done. Yeah. And, and it, like you said, alluded to that, it's, it's a yellow flag that this is going to be hard at every stage because, um, you know, we didn't ask anything of, of Brian from Sunrise KPI or, or Bike from Stratus. Other than, you know, we may ask questions for the first 30 days. Um, and then we've asked questions after that and they've been fine. They've been easy to deal with. Um, they jumped on calls during those first 30 days if we needed to. And you could tell that was always going to be the case because it was like that during due diligence. Whereas if it's the opposite and, you know, due diligence is a nightmare, you just know after the, after the close, it's going to be a nightmare to get them on calls, get help, uh, get answered to questions. So, yeah, it's... it's two deals that we walked away from because of that. Yeah. That, and I don't blame you either too, just because again, you kind of get a feeling of like, you know, it's, you know, how, how, how close are they holding their cards? Like, you know, in terms of obviously, you know, there's a proper way of delivering this information and a way of finding a middle ground. Um, but again, if it's just like, Hey, I'm, I'm not willing to share this, this, or this, or this. It's just so hard to get over the finish line, um, especially if they're just regular due diligence questions that go through. Yeah. And again, shameless microquire plug, but um, we have resources on microquire in terms of what to expect during due diligence. So um, if anyone listening doesn't know what due diligence is, it's basically like being audited um, by the IRS, um, but times 100 um depending on the size of your company um and there's standard questions and uh we definitely have resources that can help with that if anyone's just wondering what is due diligence because a lot of founders just don't know they don't it's you know almost every founder 
every acquisition is their first acquisition. So, you know, there is some reasoning that I understand behind like being really sensitive and, you know, maybe withholding information for uh, whatever reason it may be. Um, but it's just part of how you get your company acquired. So um, I guess, you know, my, my, my last questions would be, um, you know, how did, how did you get into this um, in terms of, you know, acquisition? So, you know, you, you, you had gyms before, like what made you decide that, you know, entrepreneurship through acquisitions was, you know, a pathway for you and how'd you learn, you know, what you know today? Honestly, I think it was just probably reading bits on maybe Twitter, Andrew Wilkinson, I think it is, and a few other guys who kind of, I don't want to call them PE companies, but they're almost um, holding companies of numerous small or, or large size. But and I remember just you know reading about Constellation and, and other companies like that and thinking that'd be pretty cool to just own. Like I know I, so my strength is marketing and sales. Um, so MicroAI came along and that's probably when it started, when, when kind of you started um, coming along with MicroAI, the opportunity to maybe acquire some technology companies and not necessarily technology, it could be agencies that were struggling to get clients but had everything in place. I just thought I could come in. Um, I've got team members who work with me in my course business who could come in. We could market it, install operators pretty easily. I've installed managers before uh, and then step back. Uh, just it felt like where I was heading at the time um, before obviously I, I came across uh, Stratus. Right on. All right, final questions. These ones are going to be kind of random. Um, I, I always just do fun questions at the end. Um, if you could travel to any place in the world right now, where would it be? Rome, probably favorite place in the world. Rome, I've been to Rome. Um, good, good pick. Gladiator is yeah. my favorite movie. So when we got to the, the, I just love that you can walk around the corner and see something that's a thousand years old, and then walk around the corner and see another thing that's a thousand years old. It's, it blows my mind. It, it blew my mind when I was there. Did you go to the um the fountain? Big fountain. Trendy fountain. The yeah, most yeah. beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah. We went to um, uh, the Vatican, um, but we couldn't get in because we were wearing like tank tops. Me and my wife, you have to be like clothed up or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they were like, no, you're not allowed. <laughs> I have to go back. Yeah. Um, if, uh, if, if you had to recommend, let's say you're stuck on an island and you could only bring two things and a book, what would they be? <laughs> we're, we're going really random. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, so, I'm, in, I'm in that mood today. Do you want me to name the book? Na one book and then two items to help you survive. And you can't bring Wilson the ball from the movie. So the book, I'm going to be really boring. I'm trying to think of, but all my books are very tactical business books. And I don't think that's going to be helpful on, des on a desert island. But I'll, I'll just name a good book I've, I've read reasonably recently, Built to Sell which I, I just really like by John Warrillow. Yeah. Uh, and it's a story as well. So maybe that'll help me pass the time. Um, two things. I feel like I need something to make food. So I'm going to say a barbecue <laughs> um, and a radio. Can I have a radio? You can, you can have whatever yeah. you want. Yep. You, I'll you take get, a radio. You get a full sound system over that. <laughs> um, and then uh, final question. Um, just if people want to get a hold of you and learn more about your story and Stridus, um, where should they go? Twitter's probably the best place I inconsistently build in public. So Suxidoo UK on Twitter is probably the best best place to 
inconsistently follow along. All right. Thanks so much for joining this podcast, man. I, I'm, I'm rooting for you. It's incredible just to see the growth that you've achieved in such a short period of time. So um, keep up um, the inconsistent build in public because it's obviously working. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the SaaS Acquisition Stories podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, make sure to like and follow on your preferred channel. And if you know a friend or colleague that would benefit from hearing this conversation, please share it with them. For more information on MicroAcquire and how we can help you start conversations that lead to an acquisition in just 30 days, check us out at microacquire.com. We'll see you next time.